Good morning and welcome to Conversations with Buddy. We're recording this episode at Corbin University this morning here in Salem, Oregon. First time we're here. Thanks, guys. Uh, we drop a new podcast every Friday morning with a new story that will impact someone. We hope that someone is you. I just want to say this morning how grateful I am to all the listeners each week that take the time to hear the stories that we have uh, of our guests, and we appreciate you. One of our listeners, will, who no longer lives in Salem, uh, said she feels like she gets to be part of our community, even though she's halfway around the world. So I hope it really finds uh, encouragement in your life. So uh, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, give us a review, and share this podcast with your friends, family, and on your favorite social media platform. We want to get these messages out to the people and to impact the world one testimony at a time. This morning, I got a special guest. Uh, he's a longtime friend, coworker, and a golf partner sometimes, occasionally. But we have a great relationship. His name is Don McPherson. Welcome, Don. Thank you. So, Don, we have lots to talk about. We have a pretty long history together. I think it's funny about you and I is we didn't know each other like early 2000s, but we both worked at the same mortgage company for a period of time, but at different times. So we we have a lot in common there. But let's kind of start out a little bit about you. Uh, I know you grew up in Canada. So give us a little bit of the a pre-story, then we'll kind of come into current times. Walk walk us back a little bit. I was born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, my parents met at BYU University, and my mom was Canadian, my dad was American, and they decided that having babies with nationalized healthcare was the best bet. So that's the country they chose, and that's where they started raising our family. Okay, so you were born in Canada. Yep. Gotcha. How long did you live there before you migrated to the U.S., and what brought you here? So the first time that I moved to the United States was in, like, 1978. What are you, four four years old, maybe? Yeah. My parents moved down to Port Townsend, and we lived there for a small amount of time. My dad was working on the dock system. I have no clue, really. I just know that he was doing something with the docks, building them or... uh, tending to him. He was always into carpentry. So we were there for a stint, but then my mom ended up uh, pregnant, I believe with my, with, with my first sister. So it was just my brother and I, we were down there. And so we all moved back to Canada and it wasn't till 1991 when I actually moved to the United States by jumping on a Greyhound with my two bags and moving to myself. Wow. Okay. 91, you were what? I was 16. You're six, you're 16. What'd that look like? I mean, where'd you live and you're on your own. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of took a little meandering trail. I, I went from Edmonton. My mom took me to the Greyhound bus in Edmonton and with tears, she said goodbye and off I went and I went to Calgary for a little while, hung out with my friend, my best friend in the world, Brad, and we hung out. He was really into skateboarding and not doing the right things at the time, and so I decided that I was going to exploit my ticket that was already to Vancouver, Canada. I decided to take a little drive to, or jump on the Greyhound again and get to Vancouver. When I got there, my aunt uh, is and was the 
general manager of the Royal Vancouver Yacht Club. Okay. And so I hung out with her for a little while. I called my dad who had left my mom and moved to the United States a few years back a few years back and I said, Hey, I am in Vancouver, Canada. I am out of money. Whoops. And so seven hours later he was there to get me. Had you lost contact? I mean, I know you left your parents. I mean, was it still a you still had a great relationship or are you like, I'm out of here with parents. I want nothing to do with you and I'm on my own. No, it wasn't like that at all. I, I mean, my mom and I had a great relationship. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't about like that at all. It was, and I didn't really lose track with my dad. But if you think back then, how many phones did you have? How many opportunities did you get to be on the phone with somebody? I didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have, have a cell phone. And so it was one of those things that, you know, we talked every now and then. He knew that I might be moving down, but he didn't know that I was until I did. Got and it. I, I didn't really know where my trail was going to take me, and so I didn't really want to let him know what I was doing as to if I didn't, if I decided I didn't want to go or decided to do something else, whether it was to stay in Vancouver or whatever, that's what was going to happen. So I didn't really want to let him know what I was up to until I needed him. Yeah. Interesting. I was doing it by myself for myself. You're a young, young man trying to find your own way. And, yep. uh, yeah, it, it all worked out, but, uh, there's probably some moments there. You're questioning like, what did I just do? Lots, lots. Well, Don, I've known you for the last 12 years that we've actually worked together. So I know you pretty well. Um, I know there's events in your life. Um, you're in, in the Navy. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that. Um, a few things that you're passionate about is your daughter, your granddaughters, a little bit about that. Uh, maybe a new love, uh, a getting married and B scuba diving. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about that, but, uh, let's, let's dive in a little bit and talk about, um, when did you get in the military? What did that mean to you? And what'd you learn from it? Well, that's a lot. Um, let's pack it in here, man. I joined the military in actively joined the military in 1995. I went into delayed entry program in 1994. Yeah, 1994. I was in between terms and summer break. The Navy recruiters came in and said, basically enticed me with being a Navy SEAL. And I said, oh my gosh, I want to do that. I don't think there's a better person for it. I want to do it. And I got into boot camp and, well, back up a little bit, I, I came home, the recruiters decided that they wanted to come into Walmart and recruit me. That's where I was working. That was my first job as a citizen. And, and I, I was working in the garden center doing something I loved because I love gardening and I love planting things and I'd done it my whole life. And I thought, oh, what do these people know? They don't know what I know. So <laughs> I felt pretty good about telling people when they came into the Walmart garden center what to do, how to do it, and all that kind of stuff. So I decided I want to go into the Navy. I came home, told my dad he had gone into the Navy, but they discharged him prior to completing boot camp because he had a knee problem. And so I felt very kind of manly coming home and say, hey, I'm doing this. And, mm. and, and, and it, it was something that I know really like, and he was very proud of that. Yeah. But yet at the same time, he's like, no. No, you're not. That's not what. You, uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm going in. I'm going in. There's like I have. Would a you date. call that stubborn or 
driven. Because you left left home at sixteen, tenaciously driven. Tenay, oh, well said. So okay, I was. I've never allowed my parents to make my decisions. I've only listened to their advice. Yeah, and and use their advice very well sometimes to make that decision. It's funny as I think about your daughter Morgan uh, being your daughter, how have you given her advice and how have you responded when she does or does not take your advice? Is that difficult being on the other end as a parent? Not anymore. Okay. Uh, I used to be very interested in my advice more than her will. Mm. And so once I was able to release that, I really, I, I gave myself freedom. Yeah. And, and the freedom to watch her do her. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what I did. Yeah. And it, I didn't do that because of what I did. I did that because of things I learned. Yeah. Yeah. Letting go and letting go. What a joy to see her, her grow up and yeah. have kids and, mm-hmm. and being a, what a papa? What is that what you call, they call yeah, you? I'm Papa. Papa. Two little girls, man. It's awesome. All right, so you get out of the military. Uh, how long were you in? Four years? I was in four years, yeah. Okay, thanks for serving, by the way. I love military. I love people who serve. Uh, I did not serve, but I really appreciate uh, you, all the serve, so we appreciate you guys. Well, it was the best four years of my life in, in, in certain ways and definitely a great time for growth, and I, I cannot thank God enough for, I mean, when you can get out to sea and you can look around and all you see is horizon. Yeah. That's all you've got is God. Did you know that back then? Did no. you? Now looking back, you can see maybe the presence of God. and mm-hmm. uh, But then you were just in the moment. And, no, I was in the moment. I was loving it. You loved you know? it? Oh, yeah. Loved it. How long were you guys out at sea at each time? Was it six months? Oh, it's it's different really all the time. Um there was times that we were out to sea for what's called the Westpac, and that's a Western Pacific cruise. And so we would head to from San Diego to Hawaii, yeah. from Hawaii to the basically past all the different Asian countries, or I, you know, Asian countries to get into the Persian Gulf, and and uh, then you would camp out in the Persian Gulf for probably. Three and a half, four months. Yeah. And at times we were out to sea for 45 days. That's the maximum we were really that I remember. But uh, I've been over, I went over twice to the Persian Gulf mm-hmm. and saw a lot of countries and a lot of different things and a lot of neat things. Yeah. What a great experience. Yeah. Made you who you are today for sure. I believe that. Yeah. Gotcha. Then you came back from the military. You, I know you were in food service for a while. You worked at like mm-hmm. at least Creekside Golf Course at one place. Uh, you get into mortgages. You've been the mortgage now for how long? Uh, since February second, uh, two thousand and five. Gotcha. Is when I first come up on twenty years. When yeah. I first sat down with Steve Parker at Mortgage West. Yeah. So you and I both worked for Steve. I worked. Yep. I started nineteen ninety eight, March second, nineteen ninety eight, is when I began and uh yeah it's been, a, it's been a great career what do you think the mortgage business has taught you what do you love about it what are the challenges that we're dealing with you know this is a interesting time for all of us uh yeah talk about that a little bit i've learned a lot um 
obviously you have to. Uh, I've learned I've learned to to listen a lot better. Mm. I think uh, a lot more listening than talking is is how I do it. Just because people really more so than any other time in in, in probably my history in the business need to be listened to or want to be listened to mm. or don't get heard enough. Mm. And I think when people feel listened to, they also have something that switches in their heart. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think people, I think we're all talking, but nobody's listening. You're talking, but I'm actually thinking about what I want to say, right? Is that you ever do that or is that just me? Nope. Do it plenty of times. Do it plenty of times, but actually putting aside what I'm thinking, actually authentically listen to you, that's... It's a, that's a skill that we can learn. I think we need to keep developing, by the way. I know in my life I need to yeah. definitely improve. Well, it's kind of like being in the now. That's what, in my opinion, that's what that is. Who's somebody you follow that practices being in the now? That might be a good question. Oh. Everybody tries, but who's really good at it? You know what? My granddaughter, Nova, she is really good at being in the now. She doesn't know it. That's interesting. But she's unjaded. She doesn't have a cell phone. <laughs> and. Are you telling me to get rid of my cell phone? And Papa Time is amazing. I mean. That's interesting. I, if there's one person in this world, it's her. Nova. It's funny though, the things we can learn from a, well, is she four or five? Mm-hmm. Four. She's four. You know, and even Jesus said, you know, you got to become like little children to be curious to be unjaded by the world, unstained by the world, and uh, have that faith. Mm-hmm. You know, you took her. Well, let's talk about this real quick. You, you went to February, or you went to Hawaii in February mm-hmm. for a special reason, and you were preparing Nova for a special event. Talk about that a little bit. Kind of, maybe even back up and talk about how the event has started somewhere like at seventy feet below. Yeah. So start there. So we decided to go to Andrea, and I decided to jump in and do diving. So I I had already been certified. I had um, gone to Cozumel three times in 20, between 2020 and 2021 um, and fell in love with diving, fell in love with Cozumel. The people are amazing. The water is even better. The fish, the life. Everything is probably one of the best things I've ever seen or done in my life, aside from having children and grandchildren. Yeah. But it really grabbed me. And then I met Andrea, and I'm like, I really hope you want to dive because that will work out fabulously. She didn't even think twice about it. It was a go. We went down to Arizona. She did some work with Phoenix Scuba. That's the dive shop that I'm affiliated with and she did really well and so November for Thanksgiving 2021 we decided to to go on a diving trip together did our first diving trip um, she did great she got certified the first day we were there because you have to do your final in the in the ocean cert dive um, she chose not to do that at Lake Pleasant in Arizona for many different reasons mostly my advice because not that good of an experience, but it is, it does put a check mark in the box, but that's where I got certified. 
but it's much nicer to get certified in the beautiful blue water. Yeah. So we do our first few dives. We're there for a total of 10 days. Um, we don't dive for the first few days. And then um, she gets certified. We go into the, the structured dives that we go on two dives a day. We wake up pretty early, get out on the boat, head out for our first dive. And then we take what's called a surface interval. And then you wait for a little while for the nitrogen to disperse out of your system. And then you go back down and you go for another dive. And then you go back in and that's your day. Um, usually get in at about 2.30. We did two dives a day. Um, she did great. All of them super well. I was getting excited because I knew that there was this impending opportunity that was going to happen for us. And I needed to know that she was going to be fine underwater. Mm. So we are on our fifth day or so of diving. We do a very challenging dive um, that morning, the very first dive. And I'm like, oh, good. We're doing a pretty challenging dive. The next dive is going to be a, a breeze, and, and, and I'll be able to do what I want to do underwater. And ended up being the most challenging dive for our second dive. We were approaching this wreck and doing a wreck dive at 70 feet. And <laughs> I was like, oh, is Andrea going to be okay? Like, this is a lot. This is a lot of stimuli and a lot of action and a lot, a lot. It's, it's, it's even a, it's a challenging dive for myself. Um, you maneuver through tight spaces. You have a, you must have a flashlight because once you get inside the wreck, you are dark. Other people have flashlights, but, you know, it's, it's good to be able to have one. She ditches her flashlight. I don't even know where her flashlight is the whole time. She gets stuck. Her tank actually going through. She was dropping down into a space, and her tank gets stuck on the edge. She can't get through, but as God would have it, she wiggled through. No big deal. On we did. We did the great dive. Got onto the front of the ship. On the as it sits on the bottom, taking pictures like we're on the Titanic, and and then I was like, okay, that went really well. We're going down because I wanted to go put my knee on the bottom of the ocean floor and propose to her. That's awesome. And we did. And I get I I make a motion like, hey, go down. You know, you obviously can't talk. There's no comms yeah. at all. And so we ended up, she totally understood exactly what I was asking her to do. She didn't even think twice about it. She probably thought I was like taking her to see a crab or something. And we get down there and I'm on my knee. She's right there. I pull a ring off of my pinky finger that she didn't know that I had. It was just a plastic ring, uh, not the actual ring. Cause as luck would have it, I probably might've lost that. Probably. Uh, so I try to put the ring on her finger. She gives me the wrong hand. I kind of move that hand and put the ring on the right finger. When you put the ring on the ring finger of a woman, there is no communication needed. So I found out. Yeah. And instantly we embraced and that was that. Well, I think the story too, that I, I, cause I saw the pictures and the pictures speak. I mean, I hear your words, but the pictures speak a million words. What did the, surrounding look like who was there and who was who was watching yeah this? there's 
there was 12 other people around. Um, most of them were filming using their GoPros. My One of my friends, Jared, um, he knew exactly what was happening, him and his, his um, spouse, Abby, both knew. And so everybody really knew, but Jared and Abby kind of knew what their jobs were when this all happened just mm -hmm. to help out. Yeah. Because I, I, I wanted to have it captured live, and we got it captured live, and it was awesome. And everybody knew but Andrea. <laughs> That's really cool. Everybody knew except Andrea. Yeah, the pictures, I remember you talking about that leading up to it, like probably a little bit nervous. True? Were you? Uh, you know what? Yeah, look, working up to it I was, but in the moment, not one bit. Not one bit. No. Gotcha. It's funny how it all worked out. Now, fast forward, because that was uh, the fall of 21, mm -hmm. and then what happened on so February 1st? I think. February 1st, we uh, got married in front of our loved ones yeah, and, and God on the Big Island. And it was amazing, and mm. the ceremony was the most beautiful thing I've ever participated in. That's so cool. What is uh, what's being married, Andrea? What's that like? I mean, what's it meant? What's it mean to you? How's God work through your life? Because uh, I, I, I see God working in your life, by the way. It's very evident. And uh, and I knew you grew up Mormon, mm -hmm. right? And what, what does that mean to where, to where you're at today? Well, I really, you know, growing up the way I grew up was a massive blessing. Yeah. Um, I was the oldest of five. I was given everything that was the best, in my opinion. Yeah. I had the newest clothes. I never wore hand-me-downs unless we didn't have enough money and I had to buy them. And, you know, that the experience, uh, I was heavily involved in Boy Scouts. That was uh, a very formational part of my life as well. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as being married to Andrea and... Andrea comes with Christ. Like, it's hard to say, and I don't really, I know the feeling, but when, when you marry Andrea, you, you, you get this accompaniment yeah. of God and love. And she is a very godly person. Yeah. And it means a lot to her. And not only is she a godly person, but she exudes kindness mm. and, and I've said this probably a few times to you, but she's the most kind person I've ever met. Mm. And, but it's not just to me. I'm, I'm the lucky one cause I get it every day, mm -hmm. but she's nice to the world and the world's not always nice to her. Mm. And she's still 100% kind as kind can be to the world. Mm. And, uh, I learn a lot from that. Yeah. She's unstained by the world. The world can really jade us, as you said, about mm -hmm. Nova. And she's not jaded, but almost nor is Andrea in a way, just her kindness. Yeah, I'm really so, lucky. Yeah, you are. You are. Uh, yeah, gratitude is an is a awesome thing to have to, to really recognize what you have. It's pretty amazing. Let's talk about some other things, too. I mean, I, we have other things we'd like to talk about. You know, not that I want to go majorly political, but, you know, what, what, what some thoughts do you have politically that you want to maybe share, you know, 
I was meeting with somebody this morning for breakfast. I said, and he's a political person. I said, what's a good question I can ask for my guest? He goes, should the U.S. be in Ukraine and partnering with, you know, the whole situation? And I don't know if that's a great question or not, but give us something you want to share with uh, politically that is important to you. Because I think you're a, you're a, a red, white, and blue. Um, you love America. You stand for the flag, freedom, freedom in Jesus, all that. How does that look to you politically? I'll touch on the Ukraine thing just because I do have an opinion, but we shouldn't be there. It's not right. I think that uh, there's a purpose to it. I don't really understand it at all. God's in control. That's for sure. But I think that I'm a big proponent of pure peace, and I don't think that there's one reason why we ever have to have a war if we can all come together, figure out how to be on the same page, and allow our God to facilitate that. Unfortunately, um, a lot of money is made with war, and that's the whole reason well, that's the whole reason we've ever had wars, in my opinion, mm. is because it is a massive moneymaker. Wow, well said. Just a short few words. What what's something you're super proud of? What or maybe what's one of the top five things you're proud of? Maybe we can talk about those because I think you're you're a proud guy, not in a prideful way, but you're proud. Proud of your background, being Canadian, having parents you loved, being in the Navy, being in mortgage, being a dad, being a grandpa, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on. What do you most, if there's one thing that maybe stands out that you're most proud of, what would that be? I think the thing that I'm most proud of is going to be the, and, and there's a few different events, so it's kind of hard, but I would say um, deciding not to drink in 2000 and, uh, let's see here, 2017. November 2017, November 25th, 2017, specifically I decided that alcohol was not needed anymore. And it's not like I was a drunk and it's not like I was getting a DUI. It wasn't like I was being uh, bad to anybody necessarily. It was, I knew that there was a different choice that needed to be made. And, and, I felt like it was it was a choice that would allow me to to tap into more of what life has to offer. When did you start drinking? Was like Navy? Is that when you oh, yeah. all began for you? Yeah, pretty much, you know. The I didn't really ever do abusive drinking or abuse drinking um, much more than childhood experimentation until even after the Navy. I was I was a teetotaler. Even in the Navy, I didn't drink that much. I wasn't I wasn't that guy. I was more into the adventure that that place had to offer mm. than getting to the first local bar and getting hammered. Okay, I was more into seeking adventure. That was more my more of my drug of choice. So as you moved on later into life, like even to 2017, was were you a social drinker? Yeah, it was just mostly social. And my dad passed away in 2012, and after that it kind of became a little bit more than social. I would, I would drink 
more when I came home and less out and about. Mm. Is that why you quit? Because you found yourself really now trying to fill a void maybe? Yeah. Because I, your dad's now gone? Is that? I don't know if it was all about that. I think that it just kind of, it was, it was kind of a progression that, that I didn't, um, that I let control me. Okay. And one thing I know about you is uh, every year you come up with a goal. This is interesting to me. One goal, mm-hmm. and you you have this mindset, I'm going to accomplish this one goal. What would be uh, a, maybe a recent one or one of those goals that you, you, you've you set out to do and you've accomplished, and you're like, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Tell me that one. Well, one year I, I've done it every year for a lot of years, but one year I did no fried food. Nothing could be fried. One year I did no French fries. One year I did no fast food, period. Um, now that's just the lifestyle for me. But over the last, I think this past year, mine was, I started doing it before the new year, but I keep a daily gratitude journal about Andrea. Mm. How long did you do that gratitude journal of Andrea and did you ever present it to her? Yeah, so I I started doing it um, before we got married. I would say four months, five months before we got married. Mm. And the night before we got married, I gave her the first full journal. Mm. And she has that. Is that something you continue doing? Yep. Yep. I think it's probably a lesson for us men to give her wives uh, a journal. I'm looking at a couple other guys in here too, but including me of what we appreciate in love and mm-hmm. the, the gratitude we had towards our wife and for our wives. Cause I think sometimes we get married, we get the girl and we almost sometimes take it for granted. At least I can speak candidly. Sorry, honey. Um, I'll confess those sins later, but uh, definitely working on uh, a new habit of being grateful and maybe, you know, being grateful that God saved me, be grateful that I still have a wife. And yeah, I really like that about you. I would say definitely not my strong point. I'm not necessarily disciplined as you. And it may be because I try to do a hundred things and I do 10% of a hundred things and you do a hundred percent of one thing. I actually like that. I think it's really a good mindset. So you have some great mindsets dude, that I cling to just so you know. Well, thank you. Yeah. No, I think that it's the least I could do to honor her and her sweetheart. I mean, um, the the only downfall and the only caution I would throw to anybody doing this is is because I, I've caught myself doing this, is I say such beautiful things inside of this journal. It's also important to say them out loud every day, too. Oh. Sometimes I think that I have already said it to her because it's in the journal. And so in my head, I've said it, I've wrote it, I've inked it, but I haven't played that line out or that necessary communication out Mm. loud. And also writing them out, even saying those words, if we don't back those up with action, what does that look like? And have you ever done that? I mean, means zero. Yeah. It means zero. Why? Well, actions speak louder than words. It's a silly, it's a silly old adage, but actions speak louder than words. Mm. 
How's one way you serve Andrea that she knows that you love her? I cook for her every night. Every night? Almost every night. Huh. She likes that. She loves that. She loves it. Not just likes it, but loves it. That's really good that you get that. Well, Dallas is cool, man. I really, I really enjoy this, number one. Uh, we've had a great friendship for a very long time. It seems like our friendship grows and grows and grows. Yeah, we're coworkers, but beyond that, true, uh, we're, we're friends. I've seen your growth, and I've told you, I think you've had a million miles of growth in the last, really, in the last couple of years. And I'm not sure what that changes, what's going on in your mind that helps you want to grow more. What would you say that is to maybe end this podcast uh, in on a really good note? What are the things you think about that cause you to want to grow and to be a better man? What is that? I'd say that that just working towards that legacy that I'm leaving here, that's grand motivation to me. Mm. Um, any amount of time that I can soak into the people that are in my life on a daily basis is so pleasing to me to do because number one it's conversing and talking to and loving the people that I love the most mm-hmm. um, and really the 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 energy and the the whatever I can put into my daughter or my granddaughters and in and however I can serve them and serve my wife is 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 the least I could do mm. It's awesome. And and being able to see them grow and possibly be motivated by something that I might have led them to understand or know is is also um, neat to see. Yeah. You speak on legacy. Obviously, legacy is important to you and letting your – and it sounds like the way you make people feel, how you love them is important to you. Is it, would you say that's what you're saying when you say legacy? Serving them, helping them, loving them. Touching their heart and allowing them to touch mine. Mm. Isn't it interesting? Sometimes we think we're going out to affect people in a positive way because we're so great or whatever, but in, oftentimes a four-year-old little girl, Nova, touches our hearts. It's pretty cool. Would you say having grandkids has been one of those changes in your life that God's really opened your eyes to maybe there's more? Yeah, you're so busy when when you're a a working dad and you're raising a child and you just don't see what's right in front of you cuz you're going so fast. Yeah. And having Nova, having Asia. We all have this, I shouldn't say we all. I have this um feeling that at times I didn't give Morgan the best. And you know what? I did the best that I could at the time with the tools that I had, just like my dad did, just like your dad did, just like your mom did, just like my mom did. They did the things that they knew how to do at the time with the tools that they had that they've been given throughout their life. So I kind of think that I get this amazing opportunity again to have these granddaughters in my life Mm. that it doesn't give you a redo, but it gives you a, let's do it like this. And I feel that I can, I can offer them certain things that, you know what, frankly, their parents can't. Mm-hmm. 
you know, they're, they're going a hundred miles an hour. They're going fast. And, and I'm going to do what I can to kind of interrupt that and allow Asia and allow Nova certain things that only a grandparent can do. Yeah. That's pretty cool. You kind of throw a bomb and maybe Morgan's parenting style, but as a grandparent loving on your grandkids. So end with the story here. Um, couple things in with the story of Nova in Hawaii scuba diving how you prepared her for that and then lastly is there anything else that you want to share on your heart as you go through this and maybe this story will tell everything but kind of laid on the line man but I love the leading up to Hawaii how you prepared Nova four years old mm-hmm. to to embrace so we we I decided to get her insanely motivated about diving so I bought her flippers. I bought her a cool outfit that's pink. I bought her a full face mask that has the snorkel up above so that it's easy so that she could learn how to snorkel. Cause the first step that I feel that I could expose her to was the snorkeling thing and, and enjoying it and then migrating over to now let's see what it's like staying underwater. Well, Nova's not very interested in snorkeling, so I found out. It's going to come, but the snorkeling part is kind of, I think she sees it as the second best. The first best is being underwater. (laughs) Papa's underwater, let's go. She doesn't understand that you got to breathe when you're under there, too. Well, she understands that you can't breathe under there, but, but... she's still really, really interested in being underwater to the second. So what we did is we did a little bit of back and forth kind of role play as to what it's like being underwater. I said, let's, let's go down. We're going to, I'm going to teach you a few things and we're going to look at each other underwater, holding our breath, wearing goggles. And, and so I said, when we get down there and, and everything's okay, I want you to give me the okay sign, and that's this. And so I didn't think about it at first, and we go down underwater, and she's underwater, and, and I look at her, and she's like trying to figure out how to do it. And I thought, okay, we got to practice that first. We got to come up. So we came up above water, and we practiced doing this because she couldn't really. Couldn't do it. It was a new thing. Yeah. And so anyway, we get down there. She does. All good. Okay. Come up. We do a little bit more instruction. Okay. When we get down there, obviously you don't have any air. But how do you tell somebody that? If you're underwater and you're scuba diving, how do you communicate to somebody that you don't have any air? Well, you go like this. And that's how you communicate you don't have any air. And that's one of the most important things that when you're scuba diving and you're underwater, the only one thing that's truly the most important thing is your air. And so we go underwater and I told her, listen, before we go under, just know that we, when we get under, pretend that you don't have any air, give me the sign and then we'll go up together. And so I said, when I go like this, it's a question. Are you doing okay? You're going to shake your head. No. And you're going to go like that. She loved it. Mm-hmm. And she got underwater and just textbook. Boom, boom, boom. And we go up. And and 
It was so cool. And she's like, Papa, again, again, again. And so go down. We did it probably 35 times. And 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 now her thing is, is and she really enjoys going to the pool with Papa. We packed the bag together. We mm. we packed the fins. We packed the snorkel. It's, it's a it's a it's a great experience. And almost every time that she comes over, we end up at the at the courthouse pool. And so when we went to Hawaii, it was really busy. Obviously, a lot of people there, a lot of things going on. But she was able to get into the ocean, and she was able to see the fish underwater. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it was a brief experience, and, and it was short, but it, it was all worth it. And I know that in her future, she'll this, – this is just the beginning of it. And, mm-hmm. and I think that her seeing uh, something swimming under the water – was very intriguing to her so much so that 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 little bit of implant is going to grow inside of her head and that little experience is going to mm. swell and grow inside of her head because she cannot wait to go back yeah you got a future scuba diver with you and cosimo yeah that's great well don we're going to wrap up but uh yeah the last question was is there anything we didn't talk about that you just on your heart your mind that you just love to share or do you you feel like you poured it all out. Well, I definitely have a lot left, but um, there's. It's kind of hard to wrap your whole bu- your whole self into an hour or whatever explaining about yourself. But one thing is uh, the one of the coolest things in my life that I think that I've experienced is amazing mentorship mm. from being a little boy with my father yeah. to being a a youth with my scout leader. To being a young man in the military, I had great mentors at every step of the way. Yeah, God's paired me with them for whatever reason. He's felt that either I needed it or deserved it. Or the other, not really sure. It's up to him. But he's paired me with great people along the way that I've been able to gravitate towards and really learn a lot from. And you're one of them, and I thank you. 